Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there. I'm Liam Neeson. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. But if you're not listening to the Court Case Podcast, I will come looking for you. I will find you. And I will make you listen to it. Hello and welcome to the Court Case Podcast with me, your host, James Court. And me, your co-host, Sweetie. It's 2023 and we're back with some new episodes for you. Today, we're going to be diving into Charles Manson and his cult, the Manson family, the murders, the mystery, the conspiracy. It's all coming right after this. Man, Charlie's going to dig you. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode of 2023. You know, it's been a bit of a while. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been around two months or so, but a lot has been happening. We've had a lot of life changes. And so, you know, we had to take a bit of a step back. We had to take a bit of a break. Gosh, have we got so much to tell. I know. Um, new, obviously, we went on holiday over... Well, not obviously. I was going to say, it's that. not obvious. Uh, we went on holiday over Christmas and we had another short trip away in, in January. We went to Krakow and then we went to Belfast. For the night, yeah. Yep. Uh, we had Christmas. My family moved out of their home. So that was all a bit of a blur, a bit of a wish-wash. And then after Boxing Day we have a new little member of our family here in Brighton the most important news yeah we have just uh after boxing day we adopted a little dog um he's called Chewy I named him short for Chewbacca from Star Wars so what's your name anyway (laughs) Chewbacca (laughs) all right well you're going to need a nickname because I ain't saying that every time. He was uh, called SID before. Can't yeah. say it as he sat next to me and we trained yeah. him to have a new name. Sid. His name was Sid. <gasps> oh, his ears went. Did it? Oh, oh, God. Well, he's taken to the new name pretty well. Well, I mean, he answers to the new name now. Oh, means, Chewy. So there's his name, Little Chewy. Yeah, he's a little Jack Russell. He, he is, is the best dog. We gorgeous. got so bloody lucky. It's yeah, ridiculous. We have. He's five years old. He's already basically trained. Um, he's, you know, had all of his injections, all of that. We've gotten some vet insurance. We've sorted him right out. He's cute. He loves people. The only problem is that he doesn't like dogs. He's a very big dog racist. He hates them. Yeah. Um, 
he bloody goes for them, doesn't he? Yeah, every even dog. the big ones. He he's he's Chewie's quite small, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he will go for any size dogs. The only dog that he hasn't gone for is a Great Dane, which understandably no one would even try and go for a yeah, Great Dane. He approached a Great Dane the other day, and I was like, and he backed away. Yeah, yeah give it like, a go. You're not taking it. It is yeah. funny watching him mouth off at a big dog, and you just mm. see you don't stand a chance, Chewie. You don't stand a bloody chance. <laughs> it's so funny. Bless him. He gives it a good go. Yeah, but. We've loved having him around. He's a beautiful addition to the fam- to the court case family. Yeah. Um, and you, you know what people are like as soon as they get pets. There's pictures everywhere. So I'm sure you'll see some pictures of him on the social media from time to time. Um, our will. little mascot. He, yeah. he is our mascot, I was about to say. He's the court Absolutely. case mascot. Go he on, is. Chewie. You've got two roles, mate. Yeah, we'll have to ask for his verdict at the yeah. end, of, uh, end of this episode. You're going to give us your verdict? Oh, oh. I don't know what that word means. Uh, we've got some cool um, episodes coming up well, in my mind in the series. Obviously, today uh, is going to be one of those episodes where I've put a buttload of research in and we're going to be talking about one particular topic. Um, we've got an interview with a man called Thomas Duncan Bell, already recorded coming up. He's a guy that he went to Ukraine during the war and helped bring kids out. Very fascinating. Yeah, we did record this guy. a while ago now. Yes, we did, but we've been holding on to it and just waiting for a good time to release yeah. it. And we figured it'd be a good collab to start the season with. So that'll be coming out. Yeah, soon. at least we've got some ba- um, backlogged episodes now. Yes, yeah. And um, I wanted to do an episode where we do sort of an old school where T brings some gossip that she's got and we do some courting with James. So. Yeah. Get ready for a, one of those, a classic court case coming up yeah. in uh, in a couple of weeks. But today we're going to do one particular topic, fascinating one, one like the um, D.B. Cooper and like the Alcatraz episode, I've put in a lot of research. I've done 15 pages of research for this particular topic. So strap in, basically. So strap in. Now, the reason that I picked this one is, one, I watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, the other day, I thought it was fantastic. I love that film. One of the first films I went and saw with you. Yeah, and believe we it was around. the first one movie yeah, we watched. Yeah, it together. might have been, and you enjoyed it. From what yeah, I loved recall. it. Yeah, it was really good. Probably would never have watched it if I'm honest. Yeah, and uh, obviously they cover um, a huge part of the Hollywood history. Uh, they cover the Manson uh, murders, and uh, although they put a different spin on it, is everybody okay? Well, the fucking hippies aren't. That, that's for goddamn sure. Uh, which I think was good. and um, But also, um, he appeared in the news recently. A few days ago, I saw a, um, a article that came up that said, who will be named Charles Manson's heir? A judge is set to rule this week on um, who gets his apparently $1 million estate. I don't know. Ooh, what, I want that. I don't know. What, if you look at his history, um, which we will delve into, I don't know how he's got a hundred million dollars saved up. I mean, he's dead now, but I don't know how he's got, um, a hundred, uh, a hundred million, one million, um, estate, but I, I think it's part, uh, the rights to his music and stuff. Cause he was a musician. He wrote music. We're ah. be listening to a clip of one of his songs, uh, later on. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so apparently there's two people that are claiming they're Charles Manson's grandson. And of course they, and are. they are fighting over his, um, will. Yeah. So that's an interesting part of the news, but that's not the most interesting bit that we're going to get into. So, T. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ha- James. <laughs> have you heard, had you heard of Charles Manson 
before you saw no i hadn't i've never heard of him before we watched that movie no yeah and since watching the movie have you learned any more or do you not i've learned the odd bit from stuff that you've said but i've not like decided to use my time to do some research fair enough (laughs) fair enough well you're going to be bombarded with info today what am i going to do with that type of information tell some passengers on my flight yeah you could do Yeah. yeah you could do that (laughs) <laughs> but like i know you want a tea but let me tell you about charles manson all yeah. right <laughs> i find it uh charles manson in particular i find fascinating particularly the murders that were covered in once upon a time in hollywood the tate uh la bianca murders because i really find old school hollywood fascinating like i said to you the other day that i'd like to go back to los angeles yeah um and these murders in particular were were classed by many as like the end of old school Hollywood. Like when these murders happened, a lot of people mark that as the end of the 60s and the end of old school Hollywood. Like it died with that. I can all change like that. Uh, which is fascinating. I didn't realise how gruesome those murders are. Obviously, mm. in Once Poor Time in Hollywood, it's completely different. Mm. What actually happened to them when I've read up on it, it's disgusting. Mm. Uh, and you're going to find out. Okay. Um, so, but let's just dive straight into it. We'll start with a little bit of his uh, biography. So Charles Manson himself, he was born November 12th, 1934. His mother was 15 years old when she had him. 15? Yeah, yes, yeah, so a little whippersnapper. Um, and he, Matt, it says that Manson may never have known his biological father. Okay. Uh, Many people contribute a lack of a father to, you know... Issues. Yeah, issues. A lot of criminals have... I want some of my drink, actually. A lot of criminals class uh, that as, you know, a key point in why they... uh, I guess they could say that about a lack of mother as well, like a lack of childhood and upbringing and parents. Like, it's the same. I don't think it is... um, I think a two, I think a two parent household is so important to the upbringing of a child. I don't think, obviously I give huge props to single mothers and single fathers out there doing what they can, but I think a a healthy two parent household is so important, I think, to a child's upbringing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But anyway, so his first crimes. So Manson said that when he was nine years old, he set his school on fire. Apparently. Jesus, how? I, I don't know, but uh, that's all I've got on that. But he started young, clearly. Um, and he also, when he was young, he committed two armed robberies as well. <laughs> yeah. So he was sent to a strict reform school. So that's kind of like a, it's like a, oh, careful tea. Sorry. It's kind of like a boarding school but right. for like delinquent, delinquents, right. like criminal kids. And apparently there, he was allegedly raped by some of the students with the encouragement of a staff member. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know. And uh, while at school, Manson developed a self-defense technique that he called the insane game, where he was una- where if he was unable to defend himself, he would screech, grimace and wave his arms to convince aggressors that he was literally insane. What? So if, if these kids, for example, were gear like coming up to beat him up or rape him. Yeah. He would just like flail his arms around and make weird noises and screech and stuff. So they'd be like, whoa, this guy's crazy and back off. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, if it works, it works. If it works, it works. Yeah. He escaped from school in 1951 and he was then arrested in Utah for stealing cars. Right. Now, after this arrest, uh, this was when the 
beginnings of the Manson family, as the cult was called, uh-huh. uh, started to come about. Now, the Manson family is his cult, like his group of followers, and they were a commune, a gang, and a cult, and they were known by its members and many others as the family. Right. Um, and it was active in California in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Do you know much about cults? Uh, the odd the odd bit yeah so cults are basically just stay just away like, from them <laughs> yeah they're, they're basically just very extreme sort of religions where they worship like normally one person in particular they control its members it's very like hypnotic and addictive and yeah people never normally leave like cults and stuff like that it's very it's, dangerous. it's like it's a um it's like a lifestyle yeah yeah sort of very bad lifestyle yeah, yeah yeah you watched that netflix show once i think where there was that detective that like investigated yes. the cult. yeah like that yeah like that um so the group consisted of around 100 followers um they lived an unconventional lifestyle and frequently used psychoactive drugs like amphetamine and hallucinogens such as lsd right now in, what's interesting is most of the followers were young women from middle class backgrounds, many of whom were attracted by hippie culture and communal living and then radicalized by Manson's teachings. So I don't know if you remember, because it's been a while since you saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but do you remember when Brad Pitt's character goes to that ranch and there's all those women there and they're all like hippie looking women? No. You don't remember that? No. I'm, no. You know me. I don't yeah, remember yeah. much that happens in movies oh, or okay. TV shows, ever. <laughs> okay. Well, moving on then. <laughs> but yeah, so his followers were mostly young women, basically. Right. And they liked the hippie culture and, and, and communal living. And he began attracting followers in San Francisco in 1967. And they based, they gradually moved to a rundown ranch called mm-hmm. the Sp- Spawn Ranch in Los Angeles County. That was what I was talking about about in the film brad pitt's character the stump man he goes to spawn ranch where charles manson's followers all live and it was basically what it was was it was this movie ranch where they used to film westerns on right but they didn't anymore they um and basically charles manson's followers just went and took over the place and just started living there on this little ranch oh, okay the ranch burned down in a Southern California wildfire, fire, uh, wildfire <laughs> in September 1970. That's that's after all the killings and stuff, but uh, just a bit of info there. According to group member Susan Atkins, the members of the family became convinced that Charles Manson was a manifestation of Jesus Christ and believed in his prophecies concerning an imminent apocalyptic race war. Race war, right? So, raw of the races, yeah, black against white, against yeah, yeah, Asian yeah. Against whatever. That's what they were taught by Charles Manson and convinced. Mm-hmm. In 1969, family members Susan Watkins, Tex Watson, and Patricia Krenwinkel entered the home. Of, <laughs> I know, <Sorry>. stupid name. <laughs> entered the home of Hollywood actress Sharon Tate and murdered her and four others. Oh, um, which obviously that's the part that you know again mm-hmm. know about. Linda Kasabian was also present but did not take part. And members of the Manson family also committed a number of other murders, assaults, petty crimes, and thefts. We're going to go into all of those soon, but I wanted to do a more sort of cohesive timeline of the events for you. Okay. Um, so, so it starts with his San Francisco followers. So he hasn't moved to Spawn Ranch in California yet. 
He's still in San Francisco. So he started by living mostly by begging in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And then Manson became acquainted with a woman called Mary Brunner, who was 23 years old. And she was a graduate of the University of Wisconsin. And then Manson soon moved in with her. Now, when they started moving in, it was just them two. But then Manson started trying to uh, convince her to let other women stay in the house right and she was resistant at first but then he eventually overcame this resistance to uh, bring in other women to live with them Mm -hmm. and before long they were sharing her apartment with 18 other women this is what I i don't get what it was about this guy but he was just a babe magnet and just women were just like i can't remember was he like fit would he be classed as a fit guy I personally Attractive don't. Person? I've looked up pictures of him. Please get up a picture of I him. I personally don't think he is fit. Well, but if we search let me have a say. Charles Manson, 1960. So we right. can get him when he was attracting the what women. What he was, yeah, what he would look like at that time. Like, that's what he looked like. Oh, golly gosh. No. That was his, obviously his mugshot. Oh, no. But like, yeah, that, exactly what I thought. Oh, that was interesting. Brian Cranston, yeah. the guy that plays obviously Walter White, yeah. he um he met Charles Manson in the he was like twelve. Uh, Brian Cranston was like oh, twelve gosh. years old. Oh, okay. And um they the main income at Spawn Ranch when it stopped being a ranch was horseback riding, right? And him and his family used to go on holidays and they went horseback riding there. No, and um he was coming back from the horseback riding once and there was a big group of girls that was like Charlie's back, Charlie's back, and he saw Charles Manson. Oh. Oh, that's so right. weird. Yeah, I know. Very surreal. But yeah, okay. So he's not fit. No, but, he's not at all. But, but yeah, he was a babe magnet. And was it because he had money? I bet. No, he didn't. He was begging in San Francisco. Oh yeah, true. Well, I don't get it. But um, but basically, not only that, he had this oh. one woman that he was living with, and he was apparently so attractive that it was the woman's apartment. She's like, yeah, bring eighteen other women to come and live with yeah, us. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to figure what it could be then. I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, Manson established himself as a guru in San Francisco's <laughs> Hort Ashbury district, which during the 1967 Summer of Love was emerging as a signature hippie locale. So basically, hippie culture was huge in the 1960s. And 1967 was labelled like the Summer of Love. And it right. was when hippie stuff was at its height. Maybe he was a very charismatic, friendly guy. And it's the personality that got him He really must got him have hooked. Been. Um Manson allegedly taught his followers that they were the reincarnation of the original Christians. So that's what right, okay. Um, before the end of the summer, Manson and some of the women began travelling in an old school bus they had adapted, putting coloured rugs and pillows in the place of the many seats they had removed. <laughs> so uh, they're like, yeah, so this ugly man, let's go get in a school bus with him and it's going to be so strange. really cool and sexy. Why not? Um, they eventually settled in the Los Angeles areas of Topanga Canyon, Malibu and Venice along the coast. Oh, lovely. Um, Manson had a dynamic personality. He was able to read a person's emotional weaknesses and manipulate them, apparently. So that sounds very narcissistic, doesn't mm. it? So I guess that um, that must be how he did it. He must have been able to just manipulate them. Um, this is very interesting. Are you aware of, you probably don't listen to them, but the band... Um, the Beach Boys. Uh, I've heard Old of the Beach Boys, yeah. Songs, yeah, you know, I'm big another good vibrations. Oh, I didn't know they sung that. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I do. Um, so Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys um, 
unknowingly picked up two Manson family members, Patricia Krenwinkel, the funny name one, and Ella Jo Bailey, when they were hitchhiking in late spring of 1968, while under the influence of alcohol and LSD. He took them to his house for a few hours. So I think he was just driving around. He was a bit drunk. And uh, he was just like, you know, two girls come back to my house. So he brings them back. And um, the following morning... The Beach Boy guy, Dennis Wilson, returned home and Charles Manson was just at his house, just like at the doorstep. And um, he emerged from his house and Dennis Wilson asked the stranger, Manson, if he was there to hurt him. And Manson assured him that he had no such intention and began to kiss his feet. Oh, okay. Um, And I heard that too. Sorry, I was just trying to post the photo of you on the socials. Got it. Right, right, right. We'll do that in a bit. I like to multitask, don't I? Know, I? I know, sweetheart. I'm really sweet. sorry. You it's do. a bad habit of mine. But yeah, so Dennis Wilson, this Beach Boy guy, he comes home and he sees Manson stood at the doorstep and he's like, um, you know, what the hell are you doing here? And Manson's like, I'm not here to hurt you. He starts kissing his feet. Jesus. And then um, when Wilson went into his house, he discovered 12 strangers in there, <laughs> mostly women. Right. Right. And over the next few months, the number of women doubled in the Beach Boys house. He covered their cost, which amounted to around $100,000. This included a large medical bill for the treatment of their gonorrhea. Wilson would sing and talk with Manson and they both treated the women as servants. Wilson paid for studio time to record songs written and performed by Manson. And he introduced Charles Manson to entertainment business acquaintances. Wilson moved out of his rented home when the lease expired and the landlord evicted the family. Now, I'm going to play you a little clip of um, one of Charles Manson's songs. Do it. Just enough that we don't get copyright claimed. Yeah. But uh, this is what he sounded like. There's a time for living. Oh. I know. He actually has a nice voice. I would I would have listened to that. To I know fair. I would have listened to that. That's quite good, mm. to be fair, which is very annoying. Very I annoying. I think what happened, he could have used that talent for good, couldn't he? Mm-hmm. And he's wasted. He it. actually could have been rich and wouldn't be begging. Yeah. So, next bit of the timeline. He's yeah. gone from San Francisco to the Beach Boys house. Now, Spawn Ranch. Manson established a base for the family at Spawn Ranch in August 1968 after Wilson's landlord evicted them. It had been a TV and movie set for Westerns, but the buildings had deteriorated by the late 1960s, which is, you know, what I told you. At this point, the ranches mainly got revenue from selling horseback rides, which is obviously what Brian Cranston was up to. Formerly known in the UK as just horse riding. Yes, I don't know why they (laughs) call it horseback riding. But uh, that's what they do. Female family members did chores around the ranch and occasionally had sex on Manson's orders with the nearly blind 80-year-old owner, George Spawn. The women also acted as guides for him. In exchange, Spawn allowed Manson and his group to live at the ranch for free. Hey, does George Spawn still own this ranch? We take care of George. We love George. So Spawn was like the landlord of the ranch. Manson moves in. He's got all these women. He's like, look... Can we stay at the ranch for free? And Spawn's like, all right. And Manson's like, I'll let... You yeah, know, I'll he's got he's got the run of the land. Yeah. Decisions go through him. Yep. And this brings us to his encounter 
with Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate. This is his... Gorgeous, gorgeous woman. uh, Yep. This is his first and only encounter with her before the murders. So on March 23rd, 1969, Charles Manson entered the grounds of 10050 Cielo Drive, which he had known as Melcher's residence. Now, Terry Melcher was a record producer that had associated with the Manson family. He's one of the record producers that the Beach Boy guys would have introduced Charles Manson to. I see the connection. um, But Manson was not invited to the house. He just turned up there. And as he approached the main house, Manson was met by a guy called Shakrock Hatami, an Iranian photographer. He had befriended Polanski and Tate during the making of the documentary Mia and Roman, and he was there to photograph Sharon Tate before she departed for Rome the next day. Now, um, obviously, Terry Melcher lived in this house first as record producer, and then famous director Roman Polanski, who was married to Sharon Tate, yeah. they live in the house now. Right. I think they rent it. I don't think they own it. Once this photographer saw Manson approach, Hatami had gone into the front porch to ask him what he wanted. Manson said that he was looking for someone whose name Hatami did not recognise. Hatami told him the place was the Polanski residence. Sharon Tate appeared behind Hatami in the house's front door and asked him who was calling. A minute or two later, he left. That evening, Manson returned to the property and went to the guest house. He entered the porch and spoke with Altabelli, the owner, who had just come out of the shower. Manson asked for Terry Melcher, but Altabelli felt that Manson was looking for him. Altabelli told Manson through the screen door that Melcher had moved to Malibu and they did not know his new address, although he actually did. Mm. He was just being protective. Right. Altabelli told Manson he was leaving the country the next day and Manson said he would like to speak with him upon his return. Altabelli and Sharon Tate flew together to Rome the next day. Sharon Tate asked him whether that creepy looking guy <laughs> had gone to see him at the guest house the day before. Damn. Mm, and that was that encounter. Now, the next crime involving the Manson family, chronologically, mm-hmm. was called the Crow Shooting. Now, Tex Watson, a main male member of the Manson family. Oh, and here's someone you absolutely have to meet. One of our most favorite sons. Tex, come on over here and say hi to Cliff. Became involved in drug dealing and robbed a drug dealer named Bernard Crow. Crow allegedly responded with a threat to kill everyone at Spawn Ranch. In response, Charles Manson shot Crow on July the 1st, 1969 at Manson's Hollywood apartment. Manson believed that Crow was a member of the Black Panthers, although he wasn't. Do you know what the Black Panthers are? Do no, that's the pink panther oh <laughs> there's two oh there's, there's black and pink <laughs> so obviously <laughs> i didn't know there was a black and pink one <laughs> so obviously there's um black panther who's the superhero and there's the oh pink panther. black panther fuck me yeah, of course but in the 60s there was a group called the black panthers and they were oh. like a very pro-black people. Why is it such a popular name? I don't know. But basically, because (laughs) Crow was black, Charles Manson believed that Crow was a member of the Black Panthers. Right. So Charles Manson expected a retaliation for shooting (laughs) him. So he turned Spawn Ranch into a defensive camp, establishing night patrols by armed guards. Tex Watson would later write, Blackies are trying to get at the chosen ones. Which is a bit... uh, bit racist 
and just, a bit strange. Just a bit, yeah. You think they're the chosen ones. So the next crime was the Hinman murder. Um, Gary Allen Hinman was a music teacher. At some point in the late 1960s, he befriended members of the Manson family, allowing some to occasionally stay at his home. According to some people, including family member Susan Atkins, Manson believed that Hinman was wealthy. He sent family members Bobby Boussolale, Mary Brunner and Susan Atkins to Hinman's home on July 25th, 19. 1969 to convince him to join the family and turn over the assets Manson thought that Hinman had inherited. The three held Hinman hostage for two days as he denied having any money. During this time, Charles Manson arrived with a sword and slashed his face Ooh. and ear. After that, Boussoleil stabbed Hinman to death, allegedly on Manson's instruction. One of the women used Hinman's blood to write political piggy on the wall and to draw a panthropore, the black panther symbol. This becomes important later. The fact that she wrote political piggy on the wall in his blood. Boussoleil was arrested on August 6th, 1969, after he was caught driving Hinman's car. What fucking idiot. Uh, Police found the murder weapon in the tyre well. So that becomes important later on. Remember that they wrote political piggy in his blood on that wall. Mm-hmm. And one of the Manson family members, Boussoleil, has been arrested for it. So Hinman's been murdered. One of the Manson family members is under arrest. And the Tate murders are going to happen right after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, we're back. T. So, this man, Hinman, has been murdered in his apartment. They've sprayed 
they've written political piggy on the wall in his blood all on Charles Manson's orders. Yeah. And this man, Boussaleil, a family member, has been arrested for the crime. So now we're on to the big one, the Tate murders, or the Tate-Labianca murders, because I'll explain why later. But <laughs> on the night of August the 8th, 1969, four members of the Manson family, Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Linda Kasabian drove from the Spawn Ranch to Cielo Drive in Benedict Canyon, the home of Sharon Tate and her husband, film director Roman Plansky. Now, Roman Plansky was working in Europe on a film, so he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Tex Watson claims that Charles Manson had instructed him to go to the house and totally destroy everyone in it and do it as gruesome as uh. you can. Mm. Manson told the women to do as Tex Watson instructed them. The occupants of the house at Cielo Drive that night were movie actress Sharon Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant at the time, her friend and former lover Jay Sebring, a noted celebrity hairstylist, Polanski's friend... Oh, so was she cheating? No, 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 they're all mates. It was a little oh, party. Oh, former lover, sorry, you said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Um, so, yeah, and uh, her friend and former lover, Jay Sabring, a noted celebrity hairstylist. Polanski's friend was Czech Frykowski, and Frykowski's girlfriend, Abigail Folger, heiress to the Folger's coffee fortune. I assume Folger's must be a <laughs> famous coffee brand. I'm assuming so. Uh, but she was heir to that fortune. Go so on, that's uh, that's four of them at this little soiree they're having. Also present on the property was William Garretson, the caretaker, and his 18-year-old friend, Stephen Parent. Now, music producer Quincy Jones was a friend of Sabring who had planned to join them that evening, but did not go. And what is a very interesting fact that I think... Do you know... Um, We've talked in the past about those people that were like supposed to be on the plane 9-11 and they never went. Yeah. Famous actor Steve McQueen, huge Hollywood actor. You've probably heard of his name. Uh Um, He was invited that evening and had every intention of going, but his current female companion convinced him to stay home. Whoa. Yeah. So if he... uh, If he he went, he would have died. If he didn't think he was going to get his beak wet that night, he would have gone round to the party. Damn. Yeah, I know. It's mad. So Tex Watson and the three women arrived at Cielo Drive just past midnight on August 9th. Watson climbed a telephone pole near the entrance gate and cut the phone line to the house. The group backed their car to the bottom of the hill that led to the estate and walked back up to the house. They climbed a bushy embankment to the right of the gate and entered the grounds. Headlights approached them from within the property and Tex ordered the women to lie in the bushes. He stepped out and ordered the approaching driver to halt. 18-year-old Stephen Parent had been visiting the property's caretaker, William Garretson, who lived in the guesthouse. Tex pointed a .22 caliber revolver at Stephen Parent, who begged him not to hurt him, claiming that he would not say anything. Tex then lunged at Stephen with a knife, giving him a defensive slash wound on the palm of his hand that severed tendons and tore the boy's oh. watch off of his wrist. Oh my God! Yeah. But Tex then shot him four times in the chest and abdomen, killing him in the front seat of his coupe car. Tex Watson then ordered the women to help push the car further up the driveway. Jesus Christ. So that's victim number one, 18-year-old Stephen Parent. Not even a noted Hollywood person, just a friend of the caretaker. 
Wrong place, wrong time. Yep. Tex then cut the screen of a window, then told Kasabian to keep watch down by the gate. She walked over to Stephen Parent's car and waited. Tex Watson removed the screen, entered through the window, and led Susan Atkins and Patricia Krenwinkel in through the front door. He whispered to Atkins, which uh, which awoke, was Czech Frykowski, who was sleeping on the living room couch. Tex kicked him in the head. Frykowski asked him who he was and what he was doing there, and Tex Watson replied, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. Oh. Yep. Creepy, horrible, weird shit. I know. On Tex's direction, Susan Atkins found the house's three other occupants with Krenwinkel's help and forced them into the living room. Tex began to tie Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring together by their necks with rope which he had brought, then slung it over the living room ceiling beams. Jay Sebring protested against the murderer's rough treatment of the pregnant Sharon Tate, so Tex shot him. Jesus. Yeah, uh, but uh, that didn't kill Jay. He shot him once. Abigail Folger was taken momentarily back to her bedroom for her purse and she gave the murderers $70. Tex then shot Jay again seven times. All for saying treat Sharon better, she's yeah. pregnant. Frykowski's hands had been bound with a towel, but he freed himself and began struggling with Susan Atkins, who stabbed at his legs with a knife. He fought his way out of the front door and onto the porch. Tex Watson, however, caught up with him, struck him over the head with his gun multiple times, stabbed him repeatedly and shot him twice. Kasabian, the girl on lookout, heard horrifying sounds and moved toward the house from her position in the driveway. She told Susan Atkins that someone was coming in an attempt by herself to stop the murders. Yeah. So Kasabian, the lookout girl, was getting second thoughts. Um, inside the house, Abigail Folger escaped from Kremwinkle and fled out a bedroom door to the pool area. Kremwinkle pursued her and caught her on the front lawn, where she stabbed her and tackled her to the ground. Tax, uh, Tex then helped finish her off. Both of them stabbed her 28 Jesus. times. Jesus Christ. See, what's the need? Well, What's the need in stabbing and shooting someone that many times? Charles told him to make it as gruesome as possible. Yeah, I guess so, Didn't but he? fucking hell. Yeah. Frykowski was struggling across the lawn, but Tex Watson continued to stab him, killing him. In total, Frykowski suffered 51 oh my stab God. wounds. That is disgusting. Mm-hmm. And he had also been struck 13 times in the head with the butt of Tex's gun. Oh. Which, so hard that it bent the barrel and broke off one side of the gun grip. Fucking hell. Yep. In the house, Sharon Tate pleaded to be allowed to live long enough to give birth and offered herself as a hostage in an attempt to save the life of her unborn child. Both Susan Atkins and Tex Watson stabbed Sharon (gasps) 16 times, killing her. And what's even worse is when um, after Sharon, I saw an interview with Susan Atkins from prison. Yeah, yeah. And um, after Sharon did her pleading and said, please... um, you know, let me live long enough to give birth to my child. She said, why do you think I'd give a shit about your baby? And then that's when they stabbed her. <gasps> yeah. 16 times. Oh my times. God. Yeah. That is awful. Mm-hmm. Why, um, 
Why isn't fucking Charles here? Well, because he's the cult leader. It's all him pulling the strings. And obviously he likes... So what, he gets a kick out of having control, but not like witnessing it or doing it. Yeah. Right. Um, Although his involvement comes into play a bit later. But um, according to Tex, Charles Manson had told the women to leave a sign, something witchy. Susan Atkins wrote pig on the front door in Sharon Tate's blood. Now, Susan Atkins claims she wrote this to copycat the murder scene of Gary Hinman in order to try and get Manson family member Bobby Boussaleo out of jail because he was in jail for that murder. So she was like, if I wrote Pig in His Blood at Sharon's house... They know that somebody's still alive. Yeah, and they'll get him out of prison. That was her plan. Okay. So this is why it's called the Tate-Labianca murders and not just the Tate murders. Because the following night, the same four murderers, plus Charles Manson himself, ah. and, a go- uh, and Leslie Van Houten and Clem Grogan, went for a drive. Manson was allegedly displeased with the panic and flight of the victims in the previous night's murders. Right. He told Kasabian to drive to a house at 3301 Waverley Drive in the Los Feliz section of Los Angeles. This was located next door to a home where Manson and family members had attended a party the previous year. The home belonged to supermarket executive Leno Labianca and his wife, Rosemary, co-owner of a dress shop. So nowhere near as famous as like Sharon Tate and stuff, but a high up rich person in the Mm -hmm. area. According to Susan Atkins and Kasabian, Manson disappeared up the driveway and returned to say that he had tied up the house's occupants. So it seems that he wasn't happy with the mess that was made with the last night and it's what is it it wasn't enough mess he like he he didn't like that they all i guess like escaped from the house and the panic that was caused sort of thing right um so clearly he wants to get more involved in this one so he wants it we basically wants all of his victims still within the homes i guess so yeah i suppose uh because i mean if it will be less loud i assume right so he really wants like he wants like the perfect murder. Yeah, yeah, sort of. Jesus. Um, so yeah, uh, um, so then, so Manson disappeared up the driveway, returned to say that he had tied up the house's occupants. Tex, Kremwinkle, and Van Houten then went in. Tex Watson claims in his autobiography, that's another thing. Tex Watson wrote an autobiography and right. he, he's still in prison. I hope he's not seeing any money from that. Well, yeah. Like, where does the money go from that sort of thing? Well, maybe, probably to the government, no? I would, uh, yeah, I would hope so. Um, so, Manson pointed out a sleeping man through the window, and the two entered through the unlocked back door. Tex claims Manson roused the sleeping Leno Labianca from the couch at gunpoint and had Watson bind his hands with a leather thong. Rosemary was brought into the living room from the bedroom and Tex covered the couple heads with pillowcases which he bound in place with lamp cords. Manson left and Kremwinkle and Van Houten entered the house. Tex had complained to Manson earlier of the inadequacy of the previous night's weapons. Watson sent the women from the kitchen to the bedroom where Rosemary Labianca had been returned while he went to the living room and began stabbing Leno Labianca with a chrome-plated bayonet. It's like a knife type thing. Yeah. Uh, The first thrust went into his throat. Ouch. Uh, Tex heard a scuffle in the bedroom and went in there to discover Rosemary Labianca keeping the women at bay by swinging the lamp tied to her neck. Fucking hell. So she had this lamp that they're tied around. She was swinging it to try and uh, keep them at bay. 
He stabbed her several times with the bayonet, then returned to the living room and resumed attacking Leno, whom he stabbed a total of 12 times. How do they get all this information? Is this because the people they, that have, they've told them? Yeah, yeah, they what? told them later on. Oh yeah. my God. Um, a key one is this Kasabian girl. Okay. She gave away a lot of information. But why? Was it to get off time or something? Yeah, because she technically, in both of these, didn't do anything. She was just there. And so um, later but, so on So she was the just trial, there watching. She didn't stab or kill anybody. No, she didn't do any of the uh, actual crimes. She was just there on like lookout or right. whatever. Um, and so later on, I come to this later, but... Um, Sorry. She basically... There was a deal made where yeah. if she like there's always a fucking deal them, made. She'd get immunity. Yeah, but anyway, a text returned to the bedroom and uh, found. Oh wait, no, he carved the word "war" into Labianca's abdomen. So when it's <gasps> he carved the oh, word "war." That is vile. Yeah, text returned to the bedroom and found. In my opinion. Tex and Susan, apart from obviously Charles, yeah. are the worst, the yeah. most disgusting individuals in this they whole thing. They fucking did it. Mm, I've also seen interviews of that's the Susan well, Atkins. Yeah, because she sounds like a fucking bitch. She is remorseless. Her eyes just look soulless. It's just... She oh, is literally frank. the devil. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Van Houten stabbed her approximately 16 times in the back and the exposed buttocks. Van Houten claimed during trial that Rosemary Labianca was already dead during the stabbing. Evidence showed that 41 of the stab wounds had in fact been inflicted post-mortem, so after she'd died. Yeah. So Tex then cleaned off the bayonet and showered while Krenwinkel wrote Rise and Death to Pigs on the walls. And helter skelter on the refrigerator door, all in Labianca's blood. Oh, helter skelter. Yeah, now helter skelter, obviously, you know, it's that right sort of yeah. thing at the end of the pier. It's also the name of a song on a Beatles oh, album okay. that came out very, very recently right. when these attacks happened. Uh, she gave Leno Labianca 14 punch runes with an ivory handled carving fork, which she left jutting out of his stomach. She also planted a steak knife in his throat. Oof. Mm -hmm. meanwhile charles manson drove the other three family members who had departed spawn ranch with him that evening to the venice home of a lebanese actor called saladin nadir manson left them there and drove back to spawn ranch leaving them and the labianca killers to hitchhike home according to kasabian manson wanted his followers to murder nadir in his apartment but kasabian claims she thwarted this murder by deliberately knocking on the wrong apartment door and waking a stranger right. mm. the group abandoned the murder plan and left but susan atkins shat on the stairwell on the way out <laughs> that's so random so you know classic <laughs> so those are all the main um events events now there is a number of which uh, we can either do the trial first or there is a, a, a number of unsolved murders that uh, many people have thought believed it's them that it's the manson yeah. family do you want to do the tr investigation and trial first or would you like to cover those and uh, you can have a little guess as to whether you think it was them or not let's just i think because we're on the topic let's do mm. the trial okay. and then we'll end with the other yeah. things so the morning after the tate murders uh so the tate murders became national news on august 9th 1969 winifred chapman the polanski's housekeeper had discovered the murder scene when she arrived at work that morning on august the 10th la sheriffs informed the la police department assigned to the tate case of the bloody writing at the hinman house so uh the sheriffs would be like ah there's similar writing at the the Hinman house 
Um, but detectives believed the Tate murders were a consequence of a drug transaction, so the Tate team initially ignored the fact that there was the same writing at both houses. Right. <laughs> so just a nice little miscarriage of uh, yeah. justice there. Uh, the Tate autopsies were underway before the Labianca bodies were discovered. Mm. The Labianca crime scene was discovered at about 10.30pm on August 10th, 19 hours after the murders were committed. That's quite a while. Just a bit. 15-year-old um, Frank Struthers, Rosemary Labianca's son from a prior marriage, returned from a camping trip and was concerned to see all the window shades of his home drawn and his stepfather's speedboat still parked in the driveway. He called his older sister and her boyfriend. Uh, the boyfriend, Joe Dorgan, accompanied them into the house where they discovered the bodies. On August the 12th, 1969, the LAPD told the press it had ruled out any connection between the Tate and Labianca murders. Bit quick to rule that out, I yeah. personally think, especially since there was bloody writing at both places. Yeah. I think that's very dumb. Yeah. On August 16th, the sheriff's office raided Spawn Ranch and arrested Manson and 25 others as suspects in a major auto theft ring that had been stealing Volkswagen Beetles and converting them into dune buggies. So they arrested all of them for a completely separate crime. Uh -huh. There had been people in the area that had been stealing cars and converting them into dune buggies and then selling them on. Right. And so they raided Spawn Ranch and arrested Manson and 25 others of his, of his followers. Yeah. Weapons were seized. But as the search warrant had been misstated, the group was released a few days later. So they weren't mm -hmm. in custody for long. Mm -hmm. In a report at the end of August, the Labianca detectives noted a possible connection between the bloody writings at the Labianca house and the singing group The Beatles' most recent album, because of, obviously they wrote Helter Skelter on the yeah. fridge. Um, now, from what I remember, I believe Helter Skelter is what Charles Manson named the race the war oh, that he thought oh, was going to okay. happen. It was like he calls this race war the Helter Skelter, I believe. Right, okay. So, breakthrough in the case. So, still working separately from the Tate team, the Labianca team checked the sheriff's office in mid-October about similar crimes. They learned of the Hinman case and the murderer... Bobby Boussalale, a member of the Manson family. They learned that Hinman's detectives spoke to, Rob, uh, to Bobby's girlfriend, Kitty. She had been arrested a few days earlier with the members of the Manson family mm -hmm. and that raid. These arrests for car thefts had taken place at desert ranches to which the family had moved. The raiders of the ranches had found stolen dune buggies and other vehicles and had arrested two dozen people, including Charles Manson. A highway patrol officer found Manson hiding in a cabinet beneath a bathroom sink. Mm. The officers had no idea that the people that they were arrested were involved with the murders in Los Angeles. On December the 1st, 1969, acting on information from these sources, LAPD announced warrants for the arrests of Watson, Kremwinkle and Kasabian in the Tate case. The suspect's involvement in the Labianca murders was also noted. Manson and Susan Atkins were already in custody because of the car thefts, yeah. so they, were, they didn't need a warrant out for their arrest. Mm-hmm. Tex Watson and Kremwinkle were already under arrest with authorities in Texas and Alabama. So they had fucking ran. Damn. Um, and, and they've been picked up on notice from the LAPD. Kasabian voluntarily surrendered to authorities in New Hampshire on December 2nd. This Kasabian girl just seems like someone that was just pulled along for the ride. <laughs> she's like, she's giving everything away. She's trying to stop the murders. As soon as there's yeah. one out for her arrest, she's like, all right. Like, <laughs> arrest yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're now on to the trial. 
mm-hmm. the big event. Dun, now, dun, dun. when I was researching this trial, because obviously we did an episode on like the Johnny and Amber trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the craziest criminal trial really? I have ever heard about in my life. The stuff that happens in this courtroom is just so bizarre. Really? And I'm just so excited to hear your reaction because some of the <laughs> stuff there, I'm just like, what the fuck was going on in this trial courtroom? So the trial began on June 15th, 1970. So the next year, mm-hmm. the prosecution's main witness was Kasabian, like I said, yep. who, along with Manson, Susan Atkins and Krenwinkel, had been charged with seven counts of murder and one of conspiracy to commit murder. I assume the Nadir guy they didn't yeah. kill. Uh, since Kasabian, by all accounts, had not participated in the killings, she was granted immunity in exchange for testimony that detailed the nights of the crimes. Damn. After testifying, Kasabian went into hiding for the next 40 years. Fucking hell. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I don't blame her, to be fair. Jesus. Like, yeah. yeah. Much of a life for her. Mm hmm. Because Van Houten had participated only in the LaBianca killings, she was charged with two counts of murder and one of conspiracy. Right. Originally, Judge William Keane had reluctantly granted Manson permission to act as his own attorney. What? <laughs> because of Manson's... <laughs> so Manson was like, I want to be my own lawyer. <laughs> and the judge was like, okay. But, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. But because of Manson's conduct, including violations of a gag, or- a gag order and submission of outlandish and nonsensical pre-trial motions the permission was withdrawn before the trial even started i bet yeah as it should (laughs) um manson then claimed prejudice against the judge and the judge was replaced by charles older so we got a new judge in just before they started right on friday july 24th the first day of testimony manson appeared in court with an x carved into his forehead ouch yeah i know he issued a statement that he was considered inadequate and incompetent to speak or defend himself and he had <laughs> xed himself from the establishment's world he's actually fucking he's messed up in the head absolute nutter yeah i know <laughs> uh, over the following uh, here you go over the following weekend the female defendants duplicated the mark on their no. own foreheads yep as did most of the other family members within a day or so Jesus so they all Christ. did it as well yeah Years later, this isn't important, but years later, Manson then carved the X into a swastika <gasps> because, of course, he did. But that was years, years and years and years later while he was in prison. Right. So at the moment, it's still just an X. So I'm guessing what, when it was a scar, it would turned into a... He well, it would scarred up, but then later on when he was in prison, he, he made it yeah. a swastika because Jesus. he's a nut. Right. The prosecution... Oh, I need to cough. There we go. That wasn't a cough. No, it was a burp, but don't... Uh... Don't say it too loud. Just told the podcast. (laughs) The prosecution argued that the triggering of Helter Skelter was Manson's main motive. That's what I mean. He thought Helter Skelter was the race war. Yeah. And he wanted to incite this. The crime scene's bloody Beatles song reference written by Susan Atkins and the writing of Pigs was correlated with testimony about Manson predictions that the... So Manson predicted that the murders black people would commit at the outset of his Helter Skelter would involve the writing of Pigs on the Wall in right. victim's blood. So he was like... So one of his 
thoughts was in fact we have that written over the crime scenes people will assume it's black people that sort of thing right um so you know nice racist person there so the defense argued that the writing on the walls was to copy that of the hinman murder scene not an apocalyptic race war so you know the whole get the other guy off thing during the trial, family members loitered near the entrances and corridors of the courthouse. When the group established itself in a vigil on the sidewalk, some members wore sheathed hunting knives. So that's nice and threatening outside the courtroom. Just a bit. Each of them was easily identifiable by the <laughs> X on their forehead. Of course. <laughs> One day, some members of the Manson family wore robes to the trial and said that if Manson was convicted, they would set themselves on fire. Oh, my God. (laughs) Some family members attempted to dissuade witnesses from testifying. Witness Paul Watkins and Joanne Flynn were both threatened. Paul was badly burned in a suspicious fire in his van. Jesus. This is next one's a nutty one as well. So a former family (laughs) member, Barbara Hoyt, who had overheard Susan Atkins describing the tape members to another family member called Ruth, agreed to accompany Ruth to Hawaii. There, Ruth allegedly gave Barbara a hamburger spiked with LSD. Oh, my God. Yep. Found sprawled on a Honolulu curb in a drugged stupor, Barbara was taken to hospital. She identified herself as a Tate LaBianca trial witness. Oh. So they went to that effort. They're like, we'll fly you out to Honolulu, we'll drug you, we'll leave you on a curb. You can't be a witness in the trial. (laughs) That's messed up. I know. The things this family dealt, they're sick, sick group of people. It's mental. On August the 4th, despite precautions taken by the court, Manson flashed the jury a Los Angeles Times front page whose headline was Manson guilty, Nixon declares. So basically what happened was President Nixon, in an interview while the trial was on, he was like, um, you're right there? There's a fly. Oh, right, I see. So, yeah, basically, during the trial, President Nixon said on TV once, he was like, I think Charles Manson is guilty. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, the newspapers ran a headline that says, Manson guilty, Nixon declares. So Charles Manson snuck this newspaper in and he showed it to the jurors, which you're not supposed to do because that can help sway the jurors' opinion. Yeah. So they were like, what the fuck are you doing, Charles? Um, and also it would sway the opinion the wrong way because it says Charles guilty in the bloody headline. But anyway, um, when talked to by the judge, the jurors contended that the headline did not influence them. Uh, the next day, the female defendants stood up and said in unison that in light of Nixon's remark, there was no point in going on with the trial. <laughs> God's <sake. laughs> imagine all right yeah do you know what forget it happened stop it president's orders (laughs) (laughs) on october 5th manson was denied the court's permission to question a witness leaping over the defense table manson (laughs) attempted to attack the judge (laughs) surely that is just enough i know i know wrestled to the ground by bailiffs he was removed from the courtroom with the female defendants who had risen and begun chanting in latin Oh, Latin? Yeah, while he was attacking this guy. (laughs) They're just there like, I'm Charlie Edel. 
<laughs> From then on, Judge Older began wearing a revolver under his robes. Like, fair enough. Oh, my God. <laughs> on November 16th, the prosecution rested its case. Three days later, the defence stunned the court by resting as well. Shouting their disapproval, Atkins, Krenwinkel and Van Houten demanded their right to testify. Now, this is where it gets interesting, right? That so, it gets more interesting than that? Yeah, I know. So, basically, they rested their case, both sets of lawyers, and so the three women... Could you Also, for a second, could you imagine being Charles's lawyer and oh, acting yeah. like... Yeah, we didn't do it. Yeah, I know. That's messed That's up. That's why I, I could never um, be a lawyer for someone no. like, in a cold-blooded Neither. murder. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, I know. But so, yeah, so both sets of lawyers rest their case. And then the three women that are accused jump up and be like, no, no, I want to testify. I want to say something, basically. Right. And so then, obviously, the lawyers were like, whoa, 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 wait a second. And the women's lawyers told the judge that their clients wanted to testify that they had planned and committed the crimes and that Manson had not been involved. So basically, the women were like, we don't want Manson to go to jail. We will testify. We'll say that he didn't plan it. It was just us. Why? I know. They were that obsessed with this man. That is fucking mad. And yeah, um, by resting their case, the defense lawyers had tried to stop this. That's in even the people defending Yeah, they knew what was going on. Were like, we need to stop it. Yeah. (laughs) So um, the prosecutor's view, it was, uh, so the prosecutors thought that Manson was advising the women to testify in this way as a means to save himself. Right. I kind of think there was half that and it was half that the women were obsessed and were, were actually up to doing it. So the next day, Manson testified on his own. He said some of this, I've got quotes of what he said. Some of it was very weird. He said, these children that come at you with knives, they are your children. You <laughs> taught them. I didn't teach them. I just tried to help them stand up. Most of the people at the ranch that you call the family were just people that you did not want. He also said, I know this, that in your hearts and your souls, you're as much responsible for the Vietnam War as I am for killing these people. What? Oh, the Vietnam War was happening at the same time. Right. Um, so Still, but like... Yeah. I can't judge any of you. I have no malice against you and no ribbons for you, but I think that it's high time that you all start looking at yourselves and judging the lie that you live in. What? He also said, my father is the jailhouse. My father is your system. I'm only what you made me. I'm only a reflection of oh you. You want to kill me? Ha! I'm already dead. Have been all my life. <laughs> I've spent 23 years in tombs that you have built. What the fuck? He's such a little self-righteous ass, isn't he? Um, he spoke for more than an hour. He said, among other oh things, God. that the music is telling the youth to rise up against the establishment. He said, why blame it on me? I didn't write the music. <laughs> <laughs> what a he's freak! Like, yeah, he's like, the music did it, and I didn't write it. <laughs> the music made me pick up that knife. What <laughs> yeah. a fucking freak. He's such a dick. To be honest with you, and then he was like, to be honest with you, I don't recall ever saying, get a knife and a change of clothes and go and do what Tex says. <laughs> Is that okay? Thanks. Of course mate. you're going to say that. <laughs> yeah. As the trial, this is one is really fucking interesting. Oh, we're going to get so, worse. Oh, I told you, it's this is a fucking messed up trial. So, <laughs> Van Houten, the one that only did the two murders, the Labianca ones, that girl, her uh, defence attorney was a guy called Hughes. Uh, as the trial concluded, defence attorney Hughes disappeared during a weekend trip. Um, when the trial resumed with a different attorney representing Van Outen, the defendants were banned from the courtroom for the remainder of the guilty phase as they were trying to disrupt the proceedings. So why did one of the lawyers just disappear? 
mm. as the trial was wrapping up. We get to that later. Okay. Um, on the uh, suspected people. No also, way. Uh, uh, it, yes, it's very interesting. Um, on January 25th, 1971, the jury returned guilty verdicts against the four defendants on each of the 27 separate counts against them. Midway through the penalty phase, Manson shaved his head and trimmed his beard to a fork. He told the press, I am the devil and the devil always has a bald head. <laughs> The female defendants refrained from shaving their heads until the jurors retired to weigh the request of the death penalty. So they did still shave their heads. They just waited until like the last day. Yeah. Uh, on March 29th, 1971, the jury returned verdicts of death against all four defendants on all counts. On April 19th, 1971, Judge Older sentenced the four to death. The that is like... That is so good that they got the death penalty. Yes, well, hold that thought. Oh, fuck! Hey, <laughs> aftermath. So we're on the aftermath now. So Tex Watson was not a part of that trial, as you know. It was Manson and then the three girls. Yeah, or four girls. Uh, no, three girls. Tex Watson <laughs> returns to McKinney, Texas, after the Tate Labianca murders. He was arrested in Texas on November thirtieth, nineteen sixty nine. Watson fought being sent to California long enough that he was not included among the three defendants charged with Manson, so he wasn't part of that trial. His trial commenced in August nineteen seventy one. By October, he too had been found guilty on seven counts of murder and one count of conspiracy. Unlike the others, Tex Watson presented a psychiatric defence. Prosecutors made short work of Watson's insanity claims. So he was like, I'm crazy. And they were like, nah, <laughs> no, you're not. Like his co-conspirators, Watson was sentenced to death. In February 1970, here we go. In February 1972, the death sentences of all five parties were automatically reduced to life in prison as oh. the death penalty was abolished in oh, California. No! I know. Move nothing. them to a different state! Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> After his return to prison, Charles Manson's rhetoric and hippie speeches held little sway. He found temporary acceptance from the Aryan Brotherhood, who were a prison gang. Uh, his role was submissive to a sexually aggressive member of the group. Why in California did they get rid of the death penalty? Uh, there was another trial that has sorted that, but oh, it was too long. Yeah, oh, wait, no, I know, because they killed someone that wasn't... Something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But why just in California? Like, why not? Well, each state has different laws. I know it does, but... It's kind of like uh, Scotland, England and They should have just waited until after those people were killed. They should have done, For yeah. For sake. Um, or they should have had a... This is really controversial because death... not everyone, like, believes yeah. in the death penalty. They should have right? had a, everyone that's on death row, you'll still be killed. Yeah, From exactly. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that was interesting, but I think you might not have heard it, was that um, he Sorry. became a submissive to a sexually aggressive member of a prison at San Quentin. Who so did, was, sorry? Charles Manson. Oh. So he just became this guy's bitch in prison. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, well deserved. <laughs> yeah, um, to be fair, I didn't think it was possible. Yeah. In a 1971 trial that took place after his Tate LaBianca convictions, Manson was found guilty of the murders of Gary Hinman, mm -hmm. that guy, mm -hmm. and also a person called Donald Shea. He was given a more life another life sentence. Now, Donald Shea was a Spahn Ranch stuntman and a horse wrangler who had been killed approximately 10 days before before the August 16th 
uh, police raid on the ranch. Um, Manson suspected that Shay was trying to get the family off of the ranch, so he killed him. Mm. On September the 5th, 1975, the Manson family returned to national attention when Screaky From, she was a member of the Manson family, attempted to assassinate President Gerald Ford. On December 1987, Screaky Fromm, serving a life prison sentence, escaped briefly from a federal prison camp. She was trying to reach Manson because she heard he had testicular cancer. She was released on parole in 2009. How obsessed with someone can you be? You know, I'm going to escape prison because I've heard he's got ball cancer. (laughs) Ridiculous. So... Where are they now? Where are they now? So Susan Atkins began suffering from brain cancer in 2008. An application for compassionate release based on her health was denied that same year. Susan died of natural causes in prison in September 2009. Patricia Krenwinkel remains in prison. She's still alive. Krenwinkel is now the longest serving female inmate in the California prison system. She has been denied parole 14 times, most recently in 2017. Mm-hmm. Leslie Van Houten, when she was convicted to the death sentence in 1971 at the age of 21, Van Houten became the youngest woman ever put on California's death row. Hello, PlayStation. Currently incarcerated, she has been denied parole 22 times. Oof. Tex Watson, he is still alive. He remains incarcerated. He has been denied parole 17 times, most recently in 2021. Whilst in prison, Watson claims to have become a born-again Christian. These guys must be really they're... fucking old by now. Oh, they are. Yeah, they're in the list. They're on the way out 80s. anyway. Yeah. Charles Manson died of a heart attack and complications from colon cancer on November 19th, 2017. Oh, what he a was shame. 83 years old. This bit is something that I find interesting. Mm-hmm. He has spent all but 13 years of his life in some sort of supervised Whoa. setting, be it prison or boys' home. Because remember, he stayed yeah, in that course. reform school. So he basically had this 13-year window where he was out in the real world. He spent his childhood in a boarding school and then the rest of his life in a prison. Jesus. That's mad to me. That is crazy. Yeah. That's Considering so he lived to 83, that means 70 years of his life. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. So... I've got a couple of bits left. This is going to be a slightly longer podcast, but it's cool. We're all having fun. So the suspected further murders. Mm -hmm. So this could be more stuff that the Manson family did. Now, there are a number of other strange and brutal deaths that have been linked to both Charles Manson and members of his family. In fact, the LAPD believes that the family could have claimed up to at least 12 more victims. Cliff Shepard, a former LAPD detective, said that Manson repeatedly claimed to have killed many others. And that, um, you know, I said I heard an interview with Susan Watkins. Yeah. There was one bit where someone asked her a question and uh, it was really telling. Um, they asked her, they said, um, what was it like um, murdering those, uh, those people? And she went, that night? <gasps> and then continued with her answer, yeah. So it's like it's clear that she's killed more uh, people. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, Prosecutor Stephen Kay once stated, I know that Manson once told one of his cellmates that he was responsible for 35 murders. 
Um, Deborah Tate, Sharon Tate's younger sister, has also claimed that investigators are just scraping the surface when it comes to the number of Manson's victims and has further elaborated on how Manson sent her a taunting map of the Panamint Range with crosses on it that she believed meant to represent buried bodies. This has resulted in several excavations that have been undertaken but have not resulted in any bodies being found. So, here are some possible murders and crimes committed by the Manson family. Uh, This isn't all of them, I just picked some interesting ones. Yeah. Nancy Warren, 64, and Clyda Delaney, 24, were both found near Yukia, California, at the antique store owned by Nancy on October 13th, 1938. So this was years before the Tate murders. Uh, 1960, I think I meant to say, not 38. That would have been bloody years ago. Yeah. Clyda was eight months pregnant. Nancy was her grandmother. They had both been beaten to death and strangled with 36 leather thongs. After the family were arrested, they became suspects Le- in the... Thongs? Yeah, I don't know what that means. I just saw it on all the things. Leather thongs. Is that like leather underwear? Surely that has a different meaning. Yeah, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, after the family were arrested they became suspects in the crime besides the similarities between this murder and the Manson family crime scenes the authorities knew that members of the family had been in the Ukiah area at the time of the murders another similarity was that leather thongs were also used in the Labianca murders Ah. yeah no one in the family was ever charged with the murders and no arrests were ever made in the case quickly T do you think they did it yeah cool one point to the Manson family. Uh, They won points. (laughs) (laughs) The next one is Darren Moore Scott. He was 64 years old. He was the uncle of Charles Manson and the brother of Manson's father. On May 27th, 1969. Oh, yeah. This is one I definitely think he did. Well, yeah. If it's already connected to the family, it just makes sense. Um, On May 27th, 1969, this was a few months before the Tate murders. Uh Scott was found brutally stabbed to death in his Kentucky apartment. His body was pinned to the kitchen floor with a butcher knife and he had been stabbed 19 times. After Manson's arrest for the Tate slash Labianca murders, it was reported that residents claimed to have seen a man resembling Manson in the area at the time of the murder manson was on parole in california at the time of the murder but the murder occurred when manson was out of touch with his parole officers absolutely yep i 100 percent think he did that one uh mark waltz 16 years old <sighs> that's, that's too one. too young an acquaintance of the family's members and was even known to associate with them on spawn ranch on july 17th 1969 waltz hitchhiked to santa monica pier so he could go fishing his fishing pole was found abandoned at the pier and his body was found the next day near mulholland drive a very famous uh, street in los angeles mm-hmm. his face has been brutally bludgeoned and he had been shot three times in the chest though the family the the family were reportedly shocked by his murder waltz's brother was convinced that manson was responsible for his death mm. no links from spawn ranch were ever found We've got John Philip Hort, his name was. This guy was 22. He met Manson in the summer of 1969. He joined the Manson family and was amongst the group that was arrested in the October raid of the ranch for the Tate-Labianca murders. Manson suspected that this guy was an informant for the police. He thought that he was like a snitch, right? On November the 5th, 1969, Hort was associating with some members of the family. According to all other members of the family present, Hort suddenly found a gun in the room, picked it up and promptly shot himself while attempting a game of Russian roulette. Do you know what that is? 
I've heard of it, but... Russian Roulette is this game where you get a revolver gun. They have like six bullet things in it. You put one bullet in, spin oh, the barrel... Oh, you spin it and see and where... And, yeah, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So they claimed that he suddenly found a gun in the room, picked it up and promptly shot himself while attempting a game of Russian Roulette. However, when police investigated the death, they found that the gun, rather than having zero bullets and one spent shell, instead contained seven bullets and one spent shell. Oh. So clearly... He wasn't playing Russian roulette. Oh. Moreover, the gun had been wiped free of fingerprints. Despite this, police concluded that Hort killed himself. Oh. Additionally, a male witness who had held Hort's head after the shooting told police he had entered the room to find a female Manson follower with the gun in her hand. Right. To be fair, it just—they've done all of these, isn't yeah, they? I think so. Yeah. It's just—it would be too. It just—it's all connected somehow. Yeah, They're connected to them somehow. It doesn't make sense that they wouldn't have done it. We've got two left. Joel okay. Pugh, twenty-nine. He was found dead. This one's interesting. He was found dead in the Talgarth Hotel in London, England, oh. on December first, nineteen sixty-nine. His wrists had been cut and his throat slit twice. Oof. Now, why would this guy in London? be possibly a Manson murder. Well, British police listed the death as a drug-induced suicide, saying Pugh had been depressed. Pugh was a Manson family member who was married to another member, Sandra Good. Apparently, Manson hated this guy. He had no... Someone said he had no reason to commit suicide, and Manson was very unhappy that Sandy was with Pugh, Stephen Kay, a family member, had said. Pugh's death occurred when a number of the Manson family members were being arrested for the Tate murders. Manson's follower and apparently right-hand man, Bruce M. Davies, was in London at the time Pugh died. Right. Case closed, I think. Case is closed on that one. Last one. Oh, this was the guy, you know, the attorney that went missing at the end of the trial. I'm interested. Ronald Hughes, 35, was an American attorney who represented Leslie Van Houten, Mm -hmm. a member of the Manson family. Hughes disappeared while on a camping trip during a 10-day recess from the Tate-LaBianca murder trial in November 1970. His body was found in March 1971 on the day the verdicts recommending the death penalty were returned for four Manson family members. It was rumoured that Hughes had been murdered by the family, possibly because he stood up to Manson. The last thing Manson said to Hughes was, I don't want to see you in the courtroom again. And Hughes was never seen again. Family member Sandra Good stated that Hughes was the first of the retaliation murders. Why the fuck didn't they look into these? Like These literally mm-hmm. are so obvious. They're not coincidences. I know, I know. There is a conspiracy theory regarding Charles Manson, which I've written notes up, but we're going to move that into the next episode of the podcast. So what do you think after all of that? They are just disgusting, cold-blooded people. It's mental, isn't it? I would be interested. Um, I know that Billy's... Uh, partner katie yeah has sent me some stuff on cults before and i i find them very interesting maybe we'll do an episode on just cults how people can get so mesmerized yeah. by um just one person like it's it's, it's like um if you have an addictive personality mm. it's kind of like that like when you're you get yeah. you easily get like persuaded i definitely would have preferred it to have gone down how it did in once poor time in hollywood oh yeah of course you would have leonardo done. dicaprio getting a flamethrower to them instead. <laughs> that would have been much better yeah. that's why i think one thing that i just want to quickly talk about before we fall that before we end this is like you know that jeffrey dahmer netflix series that was really popular yeah everyone was watching everyone was obsessed and like they didn't ask the victims families if like 
you know, they could be represented in it and stuff, which is why I don't watch it and it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't like some of these serial killer shows. I don't mind documentaries, but these shows that like glamorize it and have like a famous actor playing the murder and stuff, it puts a bad taste in my mouth. Once upon a time in Hollywood, I like how they did it because it gives a happy... Yeah, it's not true, but it gives a happy ending to the victims. It makes the murderers look like absolutely pathetic. And then after that, if you want to look up and find out what actually happened, you can. You yeah, can do that's it your own true. Time. And I think that's the best way to do it. If you're going to if you're going to do a Hollywood drama or glamorization, I like how that it's done that way. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so if anyone's not seen it, I recommend watching it. But um, we hope you guys enjoyed hearing about uh, Charles Manson and the family. We're going to get into the conspiracy theory regarding him in a later episode. Uh, so stay tuned for that. If you want to send me other topics you want us to talk about, send us a message on Instagram at Court Case Podcast. And uh, we're going to see you next week, guys. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.